1: Live from alt Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Cholais. So good evening to you. And uh, I have to say, I have to start out the show by saying I think that at least some of you are going to think that I have lost my marbles. I've I've gone nuttoid. Um, I'm going to tell you about what I did this week, and it, <laughs> there's there's going to be there's going to be a select few of you that are going to be like, "Noah, that is brilliant. That is that is thinking on your feet." And then there's like going to be a lot of you that are going to be like, he, "He's he's he's completely lost it." <clears throat> so. Um, First of all, I want to say uh, uh, hello to all of my friends in Japan. Uh, If you guys are listening, uh, I guess it would be morning or the middle of the night for you. But uh, if you've never been to Japan, I highly suggest visiting. I've I've been there a couple of times now, um, and it's been a fantastic, had a fantastic experience. The amount of respect that people over there have for other human beings is second to none. The... Um, the cleanliness and and the and and the rich, uh, deep culture, uh, just can't be compared to. And I have said time and time again, um, America is my favorite. I'm, I'm born to be an American. I'm glad I was born here in the United States. I definitely belong here. This is this is home to me. But Japan is definitely my favorite place to visit. And I've been all over the world. They have a weird amalgamation of. Deep cultural history and brand new innovative technology, they automate and incorporate technology into areas of life that you wouldn't even consider. I'll give you an example. So when we were there uh, both times, actually, every hotel I've ever stayed at has automation controls built into the headboard of the nightstand. So you can turn the lights on or off. You can adjust, you know, the, 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 the fan temperature, stuff like this. Even small things, like they do not disturb. Instead of having a card that you hang on outside of the door, uh, most Japanese hotels have a button by the bed that you press, do not disturb. And if you're like me, if you're a person who travels through business a lot, then you've been to a number of hotels and you know what a pain it is when you roll over in the middle of the night and you realize you forgot to hang that stupid little card out. And this is not new innovation. This is stuff that has been there for the last 10, 15 years. In fact, it's it, – while it, it looks – while it, the, the concept looks new and fascinating to us from the United States when you go and visit, if, when you're actually there, it's really interesting because the, it's, it's actually, the technology is actually quite old. They have entire departments, entire floors of stores dedicated to product lines that don't even exist here in the United States. And uh, the thing that that stood out to me when I was over there was uh, this concept of a word processor. And, uh, you know, these were big right after typewriters. Um, Basically, you could write out all of your your, your compositions and then you could either print it or go back and edit it. But once we hit computers, we got rid of the concept of a word processor. Because why would you carry around this portable thing that all it can do is type documents? I can open up LibreOffice and do that. And so we have replaced the functionality of a word processor with an application on your computer. And if you think about it, like 90% of things that used to exist as independent things, we used to carry around cameras. I used to take a camera when I would take pictures of my kids. And I don't do that anymore. I now just use the one that's built into my phone. We have time and time again replaced devices with applications on our phones or on our computers. But... What struck me is if you are sitting on a train or you're traveling a lot, or if you're like me and Chris actually, who get distracted very easily when you're trying to get something done, having a distraction free environment a writing environment is fantastic and is really appealing. And so every week I start the I start planning the Ask Noah show. Uh, basically I start Monday night uh, as soon as I get off the air, I go home and then I start planning for the next week, I start getting ideas, rough ideas, things I want to talk about. And then it gets, uh, kind of heavily edited down, condensed on Sunday night. So Monday after I left, I think it was actually Tuesday after I left here, I started looking into ways I could compose show notes because I, I kept getting distracted. And I found that there is actually a company that makes a, a basically a word processor, and uh, it's it's the it's the hipster word processor of 2017. So it it has a full mechanical keyboard and they they have pictures of people with beanies on their heads at coffee shops with iPhones. It's just it's it's very it's very hipster. Um, And the thing's like five hundred dollars. And I was like, are you serious? I mean are you serious that's five hundred dollars are you kidding me you put a you you made a you made the the least powerful laptop I've ever seen in my life you threw a hundred dollar granted mechanical keyboard on there and you're going to charge me five hundred dollars you're nuts and I'm sure there's some people out there that are like well you don't understand I bought the thing and it's fantastic but <clears throat> I work at a company where we identify problems we identify what the industry norm solution is, and then we use our brains to think outside of the box to find creative solutions that cost, a fraction of the cost. So I started looking, how can I, how can I accomplish the same thing? How can I have this distraction-free writing environment um, to accomplish writing tasks? I'd like to get more into blogging, stuff like that, more writing. Um, but in the, at the very least, I'd like to do more of my, uh, my show notes. And what I landed on was actually, I think is actually pretty interesting. Uh, what it is, is not the word processor that I found at Akihabara. Instead, and I promise you, this is not a joke, this is not a proposal, I actually did this. I landed on the Alpha Smart 3000. Now, if you're not familiar with the Alpha Smart 3000, some of you are Googling it right now. If you're not familiar with what the Alpha Smart 3000 is, it is, it is a, 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 a full size keyboard and a small LCD screen. No backlight, no color display, just text. It's about five lines. You can see five or six lines, and um, they were really popular back in like the early nineties. And here's the thing: the AlphaSmart three thousand cost me nine dollars plus shipping. They're available on Amazon and eBay. I, I purchased uh, like a um, like a refurbished one. Somebody had gone through and like cleaned up all the keys and and put new I don't know springy rubber things, whatever, inside of there. So the keys are you know more springy and stuff like that, and uh, cleaned up the plastics and stuff like that. But what I got for my nine dollars is a telegram free slack free i r c free firefox free chrome free internet free device that I can write on and immediately the first day I had it, my productivity went through the roof and I still have the temptation to go back and look this up or look that up and but I literally just have one of my files one of my uh, one of my uh, note files is to google and then Every once in a while, I pull up that note and I Google whatever, you know, when, I, when I'm I done with my task, I make a conscientious decision to stop doing this task. I'm going to go and actually do some research on Google because let me tell you, getting lost in, quote unquote, researching Google will eat up hours of your time. And uh, so basically, once you've composed your notes, the way to get them off of this device is you plug them into uh, your computer. And I composed actually the entire Ask Noah show on on this device this week. Um. Plug it into a real computer, USB cable. You press a button, and it retypes everything that you typed. That's how it transfers it. So it, it emulates a keyboard. Now, the really great thing about that is I can bring it into LibreOffice. I can bring it into Sublime Text. I can bring it into Gedit, I can bring it into a terminal. I can bring it into Microsoft Word. I mean, it doesn't matter. It is platform independent. It is software independent. It works on everything. It's powered by three AA batteries. And as far as I can tell, the three AA batteries, the battery life is about a lifetime. There are people that report they go months and months and months with uh, being able to use just these single uh, three batteries, which is fantastic and something that really appeals to me. So I have been, I've been working with this Smart 3000, and I think, it, I, I think what happens is that we get lost – that as technology progresses, sometimes really great ideas get lost – And a device that has basically unlimited battery life that is distraction-free, you know, a lot of people would say that's, that's a piece of junk. And, uh, and even, I, I, I promise you, when I said I composed the show notes on this device, I promise you, Rakai, our video editor, he's sitting back at the studio and he's like, no, 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 he can't be doing this. he he gotta be kidding me. If he thinks he is going to snail mail me some 30 year old device and I'm going to extract show notes off to it and produce a show for him, he's delusional. And I, that is something that I, I, I I'm sure somebody is thinking, yeah, that's something he would do. Somebody thinks I'm crazy enough to do that. Um, But to me, it's future-proof because I can transfer these text documents off of it. I can write literally anywhere, instant off, instant on. Full-size keyboard means I have the thing with me all the time. I just added it into the same backpack I have my laptop. I don't even have to log in, though. I can just start. And I'm not afraid to leave it sitting in a coffee shop. If it walks off, as long as I'm synced up, it doesn't really matter. It was $9. bucks. i will buy another one. Who cares? It's just a really great way I think to take an older piece of technology and squeeze some life back out of it. And if there's and again, if there's anything I hate about the technology space in 2017, it's that there are truly some great revolutionary ideas and concepts that have been lost as we evolve. And that's disappointing. Again, phone lines 1-866-280-1433, oh, I'm sorry, that's our that's our customer care. 1-855-450-NOA. That's 855-450-6624 or live. At AskNoahShow.com. Chaz is with us from New York. Hi, Chaz. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
2: Hey, Noah. Good to talk to you again. How's it going? Excellent. How can I help you? Well, um, as I'm sure you know, Valve has done a lot to increase Linux gaming over the course of the past few years, but still most of the games that uh, are available on Steam are for Windows, Now, say you were to buy an old-school game from Valve, talking like Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, Quake, basically anything ID Software made back in the day. The Steam client doesn't actually run those games natively. The Steam client installs DOSBox and runs the game through those. Now, as I'm sure you know, DOSBox is cross-platform. You can put it on a Linux machine. So I'm wondering, if it's cross-platform, is it possible to take the, the, the files... From the game itself that would subsequently be run on the Windows version of DOSbox, take them to your Linux machine and then be able to play that game on linux
1: so there's a couple of things that are going through my head. the first is um, just moving the the game files over and playing them yeah, no problem because once you have DOSbox set up, there's just a game's directory, and as long as you as long as that was added to your Dropbox and you were syncing that game's directory with uh the games directory that's on the windows machine the games are going to sync the games are going to play in, in dosbox it's platform independent doesn't matter uh, the the tricky part is going to be getting steam to understand that cuz i'm assuming you want to launch and play these games through steam that's what you're asking right uh
2: it doesn't sorry 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 you cut out you cut out there for a second say again oh sorry it, I actually don't need, feel the need to launch them through Steam on DOSBox. As far as I see it, you know, I can just open DOSBox and let it uh, run the way it's going to run because I feel like, you know, Steam won't recognize these games as Linux games and therefore that just creates a whole host of other problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I. so then, so yeah, so... If as long if you're as long as you're willing to launch them independently, then the if I remember right, and it's been a little bit since I've used DOSBox Chess, but if I remember right, as long as you're syncing that game directory, you should just be able to open it up and and in DOSBox you can set the you can set inside of DOSBox inside of your preferences you can set the game directory. So you know you would set that to wherever your Steam folder is uh, when you install DOSBox, and then from then on any games that you downloaded on on a different machine, as long as that directory was syncing. It should also be playable on that Linux machine.
2: Cool. All right. So I just got to do some research then on how getting DOSBox to uh, run because I'm kind of new to it because I do use Steam to launch DOSBox on the Windows machine. But obviously, you know, Linux is an opportunity to learn some new stuff.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The uh, DOSBox is actually a really fantastic, uh, a really fantastic platform, and I thank you very much for the call. Basically, what uh, DOSBox is—if you're not familiar with it—DOSBox is a program that lets you emulate old DOS games. And uh, I was really happy when I first learned a DOSBox because there's a game I, I used to love when I was a kid. It's called Math Blaster, and uh, I always had this—I always had this—these dreams that uh, someday my kids would like to play Math Blaster, like my sister and I played. Lo and behold, in 2017, when you have kids, they have little to no interest in these, you know, side scroller video games from the 80s because they, uh, you know, <laughs> have every game known to man. and their, their tablets can do 10 times more than, you know, what a DOS computer could have done. So it's, but, but the, but, but anyway, I, it's it's a fantastic thing if you want to get back into retro gaming. My brother-in-law, actually, we should maybe get him on the show. He uh, he does a lot of retro gaming, so he games a DOS box, N64, Super Nintendo, stuff like that. And uh, there's definitely a growing community, especially now with the advent of various USB controllers and stuff like that. So if you haven't checked out DOSBox, check it out, especially if you're you're a person that uh, wants to get back from the uh, the uh, back of the games from the 80s. Reggie is calling from Ohio. Hi, Reggie. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
2: Hey Noah, how's it going?
1: Pretty good. I heard that we got your uh, your uh, your issues worked out last time, at least partly.
2: No, well, yeah, partly. So. You recommended that I try Lubuntu, Mm -hmm. and I threw it on there. The backlight worked. Everything seemed like it was great, and then I went to shut the computer down, and it it hung again.
1: Oh, jeez.
2: So I did a little bit of research, and this is apparently a bug that's already been reported, and it's been known for years now, but hasn't been fixed. So I'm not sure what to do with the laptop after that.
1: Well, I tell you what. I actually... um God, he's going to kill me for doing this, but I, I don't have a choice, Reggie, because you've been such a great – you you've been such a great, fantastic person, or, you know, caller at the Ask Noah show, and you've been such a great community member. I'm just going to have to do this. I'm going to put you in contact with uh, somebody that works on the Lubuntu team, and uh, I I will – you can give him the specifics of that bug, and we'll see if we can get it addressed. How's that sound? Uh,
2: sounds fantastic. Thank uh,
1: you. Okay, yeah, no problem. You hang on the phone. I'm going to get Sarah to take your particulars down, and Sarah, if you'd go ahead and throw those um, – Aside from me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forward that on, is we actually we have somebody that actually works on our team uh, here that uh, is part of the Lubuntu community. I'm sure he's going to kill me for, <laughs> for offering to do this on the air on his behalf, but I know for a fact he's not listening right now, so by the time he hears this, it will be too late. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, DOSBox, fantastic uh, platform. In fact, actually interesting, speaking of retro technology, older technology like the AlphaSmart 3000 and DOS and DOS games, one of my favorite computing devices of all time. Uh, there, are, there are like five things that, that have stood out to me over the years that are truly revolutionary. Um, the Libretto C 70 CT that we talked about last week. Obviously, if you're not familiar with the IBM ThinkPad 701C, the butterfly keyboard, go look that up. If you're under 20, uh, you have no idea what that is. But it, it's like the coolest thing ever and it, it worked flawlessly. I still have mine. In fact, I have a replacement for mine. And uh, a fantastic piece of technology. But the other thing was the HP 100LX. And the HP 200LX, and I think there was like a predecessor, like the 95LX or something like that. I don't know if, if anyone remembers this, speak up in the chat room or holler at me. But uh, the HP 200LX was a small palm top sized computer that ran DOS. And it came pre installed with Lotus 123, came pre installed with Quicken. And uh, you could actually install an early version of Microsoft Word in DOS. And you could run all of these things right from your palm. And again, this is what I'm talking about. Older technology that had revolutionary ideas that got lost. They had an IR blaster on the side of the thing. And you could purchase an IR printer. So you could set the IR printer right next to this little palm-sized computer. And the the printer looked like like an 8.5-inch bar. And basically what you could do is... You would feed a blank piece of paper into the front of the bar, and as the paper ran through the bar, it would get printed. It's a fantastical thing. So you could have all of this stuff in your backpack, and you could type out notes or you know a, a you know a short memo or something like that. Access to you know very basic formatting tools like bold and italics and underline and you know bullet point stuff like that. But you could you could bang this out while you're sitting you know anywhere really. And it ran on three AAA batteries or two AAA batteries, and then it had a little button cell for a, for the memory backup. And you can run DOS and there was even a utility and I can't, I can't think of the name. It's been too long, but there's even this utility that would allow you to, because DOS could only address a certain amount of memory uh, like, uh, you know, 600 kil- – somebody, somebody in the chat will know, 600 kilobytes, 800 kilobytes, something like that. And these devices, they shipped with up to four megs of memory. And so what you could do is you could install this piece of soft carousel. That's the name of it. The name of the software is carousel. And what carousel would do is it would allow you to spin up, like, seven or eight different instances of DOS. And then you could – uh, you could switch between those instances. And so you could have an instance of a game or you could have an instance of word, or you could have an instance of, you know, Lotus, whatever. And then you could go do, you know, your spreadsheets and, and this, that, and the other. And it was, it was true multitasking just the tap of a button and you would get over there. And uh, we don't have anything like that anymore. We don't have any small computer that would fit in your pocket that ran for months on, on a battery. You never, never had to recharge the thing. It had a little serial port on the side. If you wanted to plug in a external mouse or something like that, Monochrome display uh, it had a PCMCA slot on the side that you could store data on it was just gosh it was just a fantastic little device um, and if i had if I had an interest if I had more of an interest in DOS games, I would totally pick up an h p two hundred lx and, uh, and load these DOS games up and have my, my little uh, retro gaming device thing in my pocket. I, just, I don't know, it's just really cool. Not, old technology fascinates me because I, I just think we got it right more often back then than we do today. Technology today is all about services. It's really not about the actual device anymore. It's not about creating anything. It's about services. It's about, you buy your Android device not because of anything it can do, but because what it's tied to. You don't buy an iPhone because it's a fantastic device. You buy it because of all the stuff that you can put on the iPhone are the things that the iPhone can talk to, and it's uh, it's, it's kind of unfortunate, and it, there's people, I see people joking about the April Fool's Days, I'm not kidding, this is a, I'm, I'm dead serious about all this, I, I, I'm really excited, I'm probably kind of silly for a lot of you that are like, ah, oh, this is ridiculous, again, phone lines 1-866-280, huh, 1-855-450, no, that's 855-450-6624. And uh, we'll take your questions live on the air live at AskNoahShow.com. Again, trying to concentrate more on your written questions uh, this week and maybe the next couple weeks. I know that uh, you guys have asked. That's the one thing we heard when we were talking about redoing some of the, tweaking some of the show format. Is they said, we don't care if we have to listen to Noah a little bit more, but just concentrate more on written questions. That's fine. And, you know, my, my inclination was always to say, let's try and drive up phone calls because... I just find that to, if I was a listener, that's what I would want to hear. is i I'd want to hear people call in, ask their questions and then have the host respond. And a number of you have said, you know, we don't care. Just answer the questions that we write in. So that's what we're going to do. Reddit, uh, asknoahshow.reddit.com, facebook.com slash asknoahshow. We're on Twitter at asknoahshow. And uh, of course you can send your emails in live at asknoahshow.com. Now last week, I think it was, we had a call that followed up to the week prior where we were talking about Android and iOS. And, the call, and the, our caller that week said that he had tried Lineage and he ran into an issue. Lineage does not use Google Play services, but the GP, most of the GPS apps do use GPS service, the GPS service from Google Play services. And so what he found was he wasn't able to do navigation. Now, that didn't stand out to me initially in my initial review because I hadn't left town. And uh, I know where I'm going in Grand Forks. It's only four miles wide. It's pretty easy to find. So turns out I don't get lost very often in my, my, my own hometown, so I don't use navigation. But this week, um, and I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm going to butcher his name here. Um, but basically, this week, Hermanio wrote in, and he and I'm sorry I'm butchering your, the pronunciation of your name, but he wrote in to ping me to let me know that Waze works great even without Google Play services. Now, Waze, if you haven't heard of it, is a fantastic application. And that is, regardless if we're talking about Lineage OS, Android, or iOS, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic app. Basically, it is uh, social navigation. It's not dissimilar to the way that Yelp users rate different businesses. Waze allows users to flag, you know, a cop shooting speed on the side of the road. Or maybe they're flagging a road closure or an accident. That provide, they, the, the app then uses that information to provide a more effective and efficient navigation directions. So we can route you around through a small town, something like that. Things that an ordinarily GPS, even with wasp, wouldn't ordinarily be able to pick up. And so what he discovered was Waze actually works very, very well even without Google Play Services. So chatroom is telling me uh, Google owns Waze. Unfortunately, is Google owned too. I, I don't, it may be Google owned, but apparently it doesn't require Google play services. So it works okay on lineage OS. Whereas the regular navigation apps like Google maps, even in the offline mode don't work with the GPS. And the, the thing of that is, I think where the issue was is we all kind of assume that usually if navigation isn't working it's because of a data connection. And so we can't get data and so then you know Google Maps isn't working. In the case of Waze, that that's not necessarily the problem. I'm sorry, in the case of Lineage OS, that's not necessarily the problem. It has perfect access to data, but it can't actually access the radio chip inside of the phone that Gets the coordinates for the GPS. And so Waze is able to not, it, it, most of those apps just rely on some sort of, you know, handoff from Google Play services, and Waze apparently does not. So if you are one of the people that are trying Lineage OS, give Waze a shot if you are looking for navigation. Again, phone lines 1 855 450 NOAA. It's 855 or live at AskNOAAShow.com. Hey guys, did you know that we are trying to spend more time on your written questions? You can submit those at our Ask Noah dashboard, asknoahshow.com. Boston did that, and he wrote in and said, I can't listen to you live because when you are live, I am not. It's 1 a.m. in my time zone, nevertheless. I hope you'll still answer my question. This is a two-part email, and the first part is the question. The second part is a contribution to your knowledge of Linux. The question I couldn't buy a computer, so I purchased or I got a refurbished computer as a donation. The computer came with no operating system and no license, so my only option was a free OS. I chose Ubuntu sixteen o four. The reason is in the second part of the email. The computer will be our family computer for several users. My first question is: How can I lock down the computer so that my son will be able to run only applications I will specify? For instance. This computer will have both Chrome and Firefox installed, but he will only be able to run Firefox. I, on the other hand, will be able to run both Chrome and Firefox, and my wife will be able to run only Chrome. This is just an example. I have asked on several forms, and they have all suggested to me a kiosk mode. The links they provided with results were complex and had no documentation, and not proficient in Linux and Ubuntu, so it didn't help much. I'm comfortable with the command line when there is good documentation provided, though. Could you please give me any suggestions to my to my setup so that my son will be able to run only the installed applications pre-approved by me? Well, that's a bit of a tricky question to answer. I'll do my best. Um, if you're actually talking about just Firefox or Chrome, then I would say kiosk mode is a great way to go um, because you can put – and we do this all the time. If we have uh, – in fact, we do a hotel that has a, a water park and they have um, – some sort, they have this uh, like a consent thing that basically every user has to has to fill out this form and click consent. So basically, it's translation. Technical translation is every person that walks through the door has to visit a web page. Well, that's really easy to do in Firefox Kiosk mode. We can set that up, and then we can manage the underlying system. And because it's Linux, it's stable, it's secure. We don't have to worry about the you know the minute little details that we'd have to worry about like on a Windows system. It becomes very cost effective. If we just put it in once, and I've not heard from them. It just works. Um, So if it's actually just you want to run Firefox or Chrome for your son, that's an easy problem to solve. If you want to have a list of applications that he can run, that gets a little bit more complicated. Now, there are some, like, hacky ways to go about this. I don't know of any proper way to specify only certain applications can be launched. What I would do if it was my son... Um, I'll give you two different answers. What I would actually do, what I would do if I was trying to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. If I was trying to accomplish what you were trying to accomplish, I would simply use something like XFCE, uh, which is a desktop environment for Ubuntu. And I would just create the shortcuts for the applications I want him to be able to launch and remove the menu from the uh, – remove the menu. What I would actually encourage you to do or at least consider – encourage you to consider doing – is allowing your kids to access all of the applications on the computer. I, at our house, we definitely restrict the content that our kids can get to. There are certain movies that we restrict off of our media share. Uh, there are definitely certain websites that we and certain con- you know types of websites that we keep our kids off of. But as far as exploring the computer itself, exploring the technology itself, I lock those machines down enough. Uh, you know, for example, I don't give them root access, so they can't actually. Destroy the computer, make it unusable for other people. But I I don't think I have ever, uh, I've ever, I can think of an application that would be harmful if my son were to, or my daughters, would be to play with and experiment and learn. And in fact, I think a huge part of the reason I am where I am today is because I did spend so much time playing on the computer and clicking on different things, and I had no idea what these things did or settings. And, you know, for me, that meant oftentimes hosing the entire operating system, and I learned at the bright old age of seven or eight how to reinstall my OS because I goofed it up. And that's not a bad thing to learn. My son has a Raspberry Pi, and he has learned how to reflash the op- the, the noobs installer. so he knows how to... I, I don't even know how to do it, actually, off the top of my head, but he knows how to get into some boot thing where you can... um clear out the Raspberry Pi and it starts you with a fresh install. And he's done that. Um, And and you know, that's something that that's a skill that he learned because he was just playing around with it. And he realized if he has to ask dad to come help him reflash the SD card every time, well, dad doesn't always have time to do that. So it might take a day or so before that gets done. If he can learn how to do it himself, then he can, you know, play with it and goof it up anytime he wants and, and bring himself back to life. So he he learned how to self recover. So I, I guess I would encourage you not to, Uh, to try to keep your kids from experimenting or learning about those other applications. But if you have a reason to, or if there's something I'm missing, um, uh, that's, that would be step one that you could do is uh, do something like XFC and just take away the actual icon. So they'd either have to launch it from the terminal or they'd have to figure out how to bring back some of these menus and stuff like that. Uh, He continues on with the second part. Why I chose Ubuntu because I don't have a choice tagline in your show. Linux first, all other seconds in my world That means all others are not on the list. We can't have not invented here syndrome. We have to understand the app in our native language. In my country, Windows and Microsoft Office is much more localized than Linux and other applications, so Windows is much more widely accepted in my country than any other operating system due to lack of localization. When I deploy a a new device to a user, I first check, does he or she understand English. If the answer is yes, then they get Linux. If not, then they get Windows. It's not just Linux. It can be BSD, TrueOS, or Mac that is not localized. While some Linux distributions are localized, Windows are much better localized. First, I have to solve the language problem. Then I get to solve all of the other problems for English-speaking folks. To stop my nagging, I am involved in several open source projects and translate software to my local language. Due to open source and the nature of the volunteer translators, the end result is really bad. We need to put a lot of energy to keep our translators consistent to translate the same uh, to translate things the same way across every application. When this is done, the main problem here is that the developer has set everything up so the app aligns to English grammar, but it does not align to other language. So the logic of the app is lost in translation. English is a English is more noun-oriented language than ours, and ours is a more verb-oriented language. English words don't change a lot. For instance, the plural form, you just add an S. Whereas my language, a word is a noun that can change 18 different ways. Well, um, where to begin? I guess, so f- for starters, I have been doing this a very long time. Um, I have been do- working you know, at AltaSpeed Technologies since 2009. I started AltaSpeed Technologies in 2009 because I wanted to continue what I started at my previous job um, where we were successfully converting our clients there to Linux. And what I found was every time I ran into somebody who thought that they couldn't use Linux in their specific application, it's usually a social barrier. It's usually because they say well we can't do this, we can't we we can't access this, we can't do that. And they they're not identifying tasks and and trying to decide how we can actually solve those tasks. They're just looking at how can I do what's familiar to me. Now you bring up a very interesting point because the a large majority of developers are English speaking and a more I guess more You know, more importantly, a large number of users are English speaking. So even if there are bilingual folks that are writing those applications, they are probably targeting primarily English speaking consumers. And so that would be very, very frustrating. And Microsoft does have the resources to create an operating system that is tailored to a number of different languages. So I really appreciate you taking the time to write in, um, and uh, and and explain some of that to me. It, it's it's very interesting. I, I will tell you, it, it probably wouldn't change my answer if somebody from your fine country still called our show and asked what they should use. Um, I guess if they didn't speak English, they wouldn't be able to ask because I don't I don't speak a lot of other languages. I speak English and sarcasm pretty fluently. But if they were to call, I would give them the same answer. And I've given the same answer because I know what. I know in the end what works and we may have to work through some of these problems. We work through some of these problems here in the United States, even just as far as it goes with feature completeness, right? And there's oftentimes there's something missing and there's a button missing or there's something that doesn't quite work right. And and we work through some of that. Um, And I'd like to believe that um, there are people all over the world using Ubuntu in a number of different languages. I would like to think that we could get some of those problems solved and a huge thank you to you and your team who are, translating a lot of those apps because you guys are definitely part of the solution. We really appreciate that. Blue Zero is calling. Hi, Blue. Welcome to the Ask Noah
0: Show. Hey, Noah.
1: Hey, how can we help today?
0: Uh, I ran into a very rare problem with the private internet access app. I've been using it for work and the clients are actually asking me what VPN to use. I've been going to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I had run into a very odd problem. And I've asked the forums of my distribution, Linux Lite. And they're they're saying to delete a file in the hidden files. But I tried to control H. When I was talking to Rekai
1: earlier today, but I cannot it's not popping up. Okay. Well what I would do for specifically for the hidden file issue is if you're in Nautilus, you can go up to the edit menu, click on preferences, and over in the view uh, tab there is the there's a little tick box that says show hidden files. Um, and you should be able to, uh, you know, let me just check one thing here, because I feel like that might not be true if you're using. Nope, it is. It's true in in, in, uh, in Gnome as well. So uh, preferences and then uh, do, 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 Where do, oh, 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 oh. Is it under behavior? Oh, I feel so unprofessional doing this right on the air. Uh, let's see here. Views, sort files, allow folders. Where is hidden files in Gnome? Uh do 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 file counts. I will find out for you. I can't it's I'm not seeing it right here. It's not immediately popping up for me inside of GNOME. That is definitely the correct answer for Ubuntu, but I'm not seeing it in GNOME here. And uh Wow, that's that's really weird. So I'll keep an eye on the chat room. Somebody probably knows and they're all laughing at me right now. But um I'll find out for you in uh in 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 GNOME for sure and we'll get back to you because uh that'd be really frustrating. I don't see I can't see how to do it. I'll find out for you, though. And um, oh, here it is. So you know where it is. It's it, ah, you know, this is I'm about to launch into a rent here, people. It's not in the uh, it's not you don't click on file preferences. What you do is you go over to the hamburger menu and then there is show hidden files and you can check that. And This is really what drives me nuts about Gnome is they put the what should be in the same place multiple different places. And it just, it kind of drives me nuts. Really just irritates the heck out of me. Alex is from good old Grand Forks, North Dakota. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
0: Hey there, Noah. My name's Alex. Cool. How can we help today? Um, So I'm going to be, I'm calling about, uh, so I've been uh, doing some drone piloting and um, I've been looking to start editing my 4K footage. These are really big files and I'm on the road a lot. And I'm kind of operating out of a laptop type situation. I'm wondering if you know of any uh, recommendations for something that can handle a, like a 4K uh, big big files in terms of editing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, I just I, I'll answer your question, but after that, I kind of want to sidebar with you. Uh, so the the answer to your question is what you look for when you're purchasing hardware for 4K is a minimum of 16 gigs of RAM and a dedicated GPU. There are two ways to purchase laptops. The first way is you can buy a video card that is embedded into the motherboard. It's actually made by Intel. It's put into the motherboard. And that's great for daily computing, even some light gaming. And you can edit 1080p footage on it all day long. 4K really, really, really starts to stress the the computer. And so what you do is you buy a, one that, that supports, and it's, it's actually a separate graphics card made by NVIDIA, and they put it in the computer. I, I want to ask you this. What are you publishing to? What's your end output result?
0: So I make uh, little music videos, and also I'm using it for journalism. So I'm pumping out basically small videos or short docs. Sure.
1: Are these being? But what I'm saying is, they, are they being uploaded to YouTube in 4K? Or are they being uploaded? Are you publishing to like 720p, 1080p? Yep.
0: I'm I'm uploading in 4K. You are okay.
1: Cool. Okay. So then, yeah. So then, what you then you're right. Then what you would need is a computer that can process 4K. So you're looking for a a computer with dedicated graphics. Now, there's a couple different options out there for you. My first go-to would be something like a System 76 or a Dell. Um, the Dell Precision line, Dell Latitude line actually, I don't think the Latitude does have discrete graphics. So the Latitude line or the XPS line, both would have uh, dedicated graphics cards and those would be ideal for video editing. System 76, um, you could contact those folks and they would be able to give you uh, an exact answer. In fact, if you'd like, I can see if we can, uh, if we can get, can we get uh, somebody from System 76 on the line? And, uh, I think we, if I can get them on the line, I'll, I'll put you in contact with them afterwards and, uh, and maybe we can see if we can get them to answer your question. But while they, while I look into that, uh, and somebody go find, see if we can find somebody from System 76, get them on the phone. Um, I wanted to ask you, you are, you and I know each other, right? You're the Alex, I think I, I, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So yeah. <clears throat> tell me what, so let me, let me give, let me give some background story. So background story, uh, the University of North Dakota asks me to come give a presentation on security uh, IT and IT security. So I go in and I talked about data privacy and uh, and owning our data, owning our technology and the things that we do to do that. And Alex and a couple of his buddies, they came up after the presentation. They said, yeah, you know, we you know we really enjoyed it. That was really great. And uh, how do we get started with this? And I said, well, you know, I would use uh, Linux as an operating system. I would do this. I would do that. And they said, great. Uh, can you show us how to do that? I said, yep. What, can, what time can I come over to your house and we'll install Linux? So we went over to the, uh, their house and we installed Linux on a bunch of computers and spent a bunch of time geeking out and and uh, and you guys were doing a bunch of video production and so we got into that and so we got them on Lightworks and they were editing on Linux and it was it was was great and now I understand that you are actually you are starting an actual like professional venture now that you're done with college talk to me about that
0: yeah that's correct Um, so basically I'm I'm calling it uh, New Era Uh, and it's it's a combination of music and journalism and the reason why I'm combining both of these is because I, I realize they're both really important for communicating and um So I've been using, uh, a lot of different mediums to communicate. Uh, I've been using a small UAV, otherwise known as an unmanned aerial vehicle. Um, it's, uh, called the Mavic Pro. It's, uh, made by DJI. It's a really small, uh, drone, um, super compact. It's, it's like the size of one shoe. if You can imagine that. And I, um, I'm also, uh, uh, I have been using music as a medium to communicate as well whether it's um hip hop or whether it's poetry um and and what we're doing is we're we're trying to connect with um the the new era so as we're entering a new era with a uh, new president with uh new things happening within our country and around the world um we're we're really looking to use different mediums to communicate and so um kind of one of the reasons why I called is because I'm going to be going on the road soon and I have almost my entire operation out of my backpack uh, Mm -hmm. I have both my DJI Mavic Pro uh, I have my DJI Osmo which is a 4K uh, camera and I have a small little road mic connected to it and then um, the next last component to this is going to be basically the 4K editing uh, laptop and this is all I'm going to be able to fit out of a backpack, I'll be able to uh, do my communicating and my, uh, in the new era.
1: <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, we certainly want to, uh, you know, wish you ever success. And if there's anything we can do at the Ask Noah show, don't hesitate to give us a call. I'd love to stay in contact with you. Where can people learn more about what you're doing with uh, connecting with people in new media?
0: Absolutely. Um, so right now it's, uh, it's, it's mainly operated through my Facebook page, and maybe we say that uh not as professional as the next medium but um, that's what's working for me right now. So you'd see me at Alex Amon on Facebook. I have been doing a lot of uh things like like live feeds, um, and like live streams to Facebook. It's a really effective medium and um, we cover topics all the way from uh Native American uh rights. Uh we cover topics like things like uh Charlottesville, uh Standing Rock, all these things where people are really uh, coming together and speaking louder.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Alex, for calling in. And I hope we were able to, you know, give you somewhat of a recommendation for your hardware. Chat room's also saying, um, check out blender blender is a, um, I consider it to be modeling software for you know for 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 modeling out you know like animation you know type things um, but there's a lot of people that very that effective that effectively edit video on it and uh, apparently chatroom's telling me that they effectively edit 4K video so I would check out Blender uh as an option the other thing I was going to say you heard me ask Alex uh and I thank you for the call Alex you heard me ask Alex does he edit uh does he actually produce the 4K or does he just produce 1080p or 720p? And here's why I asked that question. If you are going to, if the final product is going to be 1080p, you, you could just use FFmpeg to downscale that 4K footage down to 1080, edit, and then, and then output the file. Um, there's, you know, and, you know, and part of this comes from I was, when I went through school, I, I, I went through a school, graduated with a degree in communication. Um, and so I took a lot of classes on how to actually do, you know, photography, videography, stuff like that. And I, I'm kind of an old curmudgeon. I get stuck in my ways once I get told the way to do something or I learn the way to do something. And the way that we were always taught was crop in the camera, not in the dark room. And that, the, the phrase, I mean, the technology has changed, but the phrase stays the same. The idea is if you have to go back and recrop your footage, you shot it wrong and you should shoot it correctly to begin with. And you won't have to worry about trying to correct your mistake afterwards. Um, and so there are two reasons to keep 4K uh, with that being said, then the first way is if you want to do some sort of virtual camera shot or some sort of after cropping. So sometimes you shoot something. And you don't realize how cool it's going to be until after you get back into the, the room and you're like, gosh, darn it. If I, if I just cut this thing out or that lap post out or this or whatever, and every once in a while, that makes sense. And then you'd want to stick with the 4K footage imported into your video editor, edit the, the shot, whatever, and then crop down. You're, you're good to go. Um, but if you're shooting the video properly to begin with and you know framing your shot, deciding what you want to be in the frame, all of that good stuff, and shoot all of that correctly – and your output medium is going to be ten eighty p or seven twenty p. I would just downscale all of that with ffmpeg, and we'll have a link in the show notes how you can do that with a single ffmpeg command. Scale it uh, a four k video down to ten eighty p, as those files are way easier to work with, way easier. So if you are if you are outputting to a, to a smaller resolution, don't even bother editing in four k. Uh, just put out in ten eighty p. And in fact, depending on your budget, if my choice was to spend. If I had $5,000 and my choice was to buy a 4K editing system or I could buy a $1,000 computer to edit 1080p video and take the $4,000 and go travel to collect footage and uh, go have new experiences and stuff like that, I'd spend the four grand on, on traveling and, and doing the experiences every time. There are a few people out there that are going to watch a movie, particularly on – uh, on YouTube that are going to say, well, that, that, do you know what? The fact that there, there was extra pixels in there, that just made it. I, I just, I, I don't subscribe to that belief. So take that with a grain of salt. It's that's mostly personal opinion. But uh, if you want a good 4k editing laptop, I would do Dell. And I'm sorry, we couldn't get system 76 on the line. We thought we had a, we thought we had an in with them, but uh, apparently that the uh, number that we have is not working. So you'll have to give them a call Monday through Friday during their business hours. So James writes in and he says I think on one episode you said that you use the multipass. Yes, I did. It's about $80, but I'm curious what happens if you break it and what happens tomorrow if multipass is no more. Can you back up the database? And if the multipass is no more, can you read that database into something to get it back? One thing is, I think I live under a rock. Uh that's what Google Glass does and I work with some sort of webcam like that thing. If it breaks down, what happens? What do I have to do and why do I need one? Um, Okay, so I'll answer your first question first. Um, Multipath. Actually, I'll answer your second question first. Uh, Google Glass, what it is, is it's a head-mounted computer. It's a small pair of glasses that has an integrated ARM processor and a small display and a small camera and a small speaker and a small microphone. And uh, what it allows you to do is you can take pictures of things. You can record video of things you can watch video of things you can uh read incoming text messages and phone calls and stuff like that it's a very very attractive device um i have owned one Mine broke viewer gave me his and so i've been able to use it i just can't leave grand forks with it because it isn't very tolerant tolerant of uh of climate change it's a fantastic device and uh if if the if the price came down on them and they became more available and more affordable, I would recommend that everyone have one because I think they're they're so fantastic um as far as the multipass, if you're not familiar with the multipass is the multipass is my new favorite password manager, and basically it is a hardware device that stores all of your passwords. There are two ways to retrieve the passwords from the multipass The first way is you can install a plugin to your browser, and so when you visit a given site, it automatically enters the password for you, and you can log in, just like LastPass would. The second way is keyboard emulation mode, which is you select on the physical device what password you would like to enter, and when you press the button, it physically types the password for you. Now, the advantage to that is oftentimes if you're logged into something like a DigitalOcean console that's going over Java inside of a web browser, a plug-in system isn't going to work because the plugins, it doesn't actually see a field because there's actually a plugin that's running on in the inside of that thing, the, the Java console. But the multipass will work for that. And so the... It's, okay, so let's address some of these questions. Can you back up the database? Yes. Um, you can copy the database to as many devices as you want. The database is secured with a encrypted key. And that key can also... You can enroll multiple keys. So you can... What I do... Is you make one key, put it in a safety deposit box, and just leave it there, and now that key is your backup, you know, disaster key, whatever, and then you have one that you carry with you. So you insert that smart card in, then you can decrypt the database. You have one of the keys, you can decrypt the database, and you can uh, access all of your passwords. Um, can you get back into it if MultiPass is no more tomorrow? Yes, you can. Um, What you would, that's the advantage of a hardware-based password manager. That is the advantage of this thing is it does not rely on a service or a company to exist. Multipass never re-talks out. Side of your computer. It's just a thing that stores your password and can spit them back into your laptop or your desktop. That's all it is. It doesn't have a server. It doesn't have a service. It doesn't have activation. It doesn't have a registration. It doesn't have an, uh, a key. None of that. Uh, you know, registration, whatever, activation key. It doesn't have any of that. It's just the device. So, unlike all those poor SAPs that are using LastPass that have a ransom that they have to pay every single year, you buy the MultiPass one time and one time only. You stick your smart card into it. You Save all of your passwords and encrypt it with your smart card, and now your passwords are as secure. In fact, I would argue more secure than than most LastPass installations, because with MultiPass, it's something you have and something you know. The best case scenario for most uh, LastPass users is it's they're usually using some sort of app to actually do the the the, the second off. Most of them aren't even using a, an actual hardware, uh, you know, two factor like the YubiKey, uh, and if they are, they're definitely paying for it because I can't get into my uh, last pass because they locked me, they're holding me hostage cause I didn't pay their $9 ransom or whatever. And so now I can't disable my two factor and I can't log into it with two factor. So, uh, that will never happen with MultiPass um, because it never checks out. So it's, it is my absolute top recommendation for a password manager. I think people are fools that are, that are, you know, paying a yearly fee, uh, to do what you could do for $80 one time. Not to mention, I think the passwords are more secure and it's more flexible. Uh, so the MultiPass is a great device. Um, you can back up the database, and if the device breaks, uh, you you know you can restore that. Uh, as far as exporting the data out, um, I wouldn't see a need to do that. Even if MultiPass went away, I would continue using it. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to export the passwords out, there is a way to go password by password and say export that password, export that password, export that password, and it would just spit it all into a text file. Um, you might be able to do it all at once. I haven't tried, but I don't see a reason to do that. Because if, again, if ever I wanted to, if ever the company goes under, I just keep using their product. It's a great product then. Why wouldn't it be just because the company doesn't exist? Matthew writes in and says, I'm looking for a way to send a phone call alert to my company's IT staff when a critical email is generated or if daily success email is not received. I'd like to accomplish both with the same software. Do you know of any open source software that could do this and what could you recommend? Asterix. Asterix would be able to do all of that. Asterix is one of those pieces of software that the answer to what you can do with it is almost nothing, Uh or sorry, what <laughs> uh, you can do with it is almost nothing. The answer to what do people understand how to do, know how to do, uh, it's a bit of a different story. It's a very complex piece of software, and so it might take some tweaking. I would recommend something like Asterix Now, Um that you can start with and it'll give you a web UI and you might be able to see if you can do it that way. Here's something else I would do. If you don't want an actual piece of software, like if you asked, if you came to us and we were trying to accomplish this very thing, we probably wouldn't build an asterisk box for this. We would do something called site 24 X seven. And uh, it's a website. It's a service. I don't know if they still have a free tier. They used to have a free tier where you could do like the first 250 calls or 25 calls or something like that for free a month. And then after that, you had to pay the $9 a month plan, start at nine bucks, something like that. But basically what 24 X seven does is it is a service that you sign up for and it's a monitoring service. So you can have it, you, you could even have it, instead of saying, I want, I want to send a report that says everything's good, you could actually have the agent running on all the individual machines and all those machines would report into site 24x7. And if any of them don't report in or report a problem, then site, it will automatically make a phone call or an email or SMS or whatever it is you want out to one of these, uh, you know, some provider. And uh, Twillow is another great thing to look at if you're looking for a – if you find a piece of software that you want to use uh, or if you use Asterisk and you want to be able to send SMS in addition to a phone call, Twillow might be a, a way to go. We use FlowRoute uh, a lot and um, I don't know how – uh, if they go outside of uh, you know, like what the ramifications are for various states, um, but there is a company out of Fargo – uh, and he's actually a viewer of the Ask Noah show and Linux Action Show. So I would give him a call as well. We'll have links for all of that in the show notes. But Site24x7, uh, that's what I would, I would do. Hey, happy birthday, Linux. It was Linux's 26th birthday. And uh, Linux is 26 years old. And happy birthday. And a huge thank you to Mr. Linus Torvalds for all of the hard work that he does throughout the year without a lot of appreciation from the mainstream media. You know, when you are in charge of a large software project, particularly across the internet, the internet is a, can be anyway, a very terrible place. Uh, And if you work in, if you post videos on the internet, if you are involved for any length of time uh, and have any sort of attention, you find out pretty quick who the real scum of the earth are. They they come crawling out and, and they will... They will say things to you and about you that you just – you couldn't imagine. Nobody, myself included, uh, disapproves of you know uh, constructive criticism. If you have a problem with the show – in fact, every time anyone that ever written into the show, this show or, or any of the other shows that I've, I've been on, anytime I've ever gotten a piece of constructive criticism, I always start the reply out with thank you very much because it's people like you that actually make the show better. The people that write in and say, I really like what you do. Thanks for your contribution. You people are fantastic human beings, and you really warm our hearts and give us encouragement and and motivation to keep going. Um, but the show is not improving. The show improves when people politely and, but firmly point out, this is what needs to change because I don't like this or this is not working because X. Those are the people that are the, – the, some of the most valuable pieces of feedback. The personal insults and stuff like that are – are not valuable. Um, and Lena Storvolds has put up with more than his fair share of that over the years. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. People look for drama. And when you have somebody that runs a project across the internet, oftentimes his only method of enforcing something, um, particularly when you're dealing with, uh, you know, the, the scum of the earth sometimes, is to be abrasive. And uh, people have taken that in our in, – in, in, the, in the politically correct world that we live in and say, well, he can't say that and that's terrible. And we need to, we need to demonize him and, and, and make fun of him and, and talk about what a terrible person he is. The amount of things that you would not have today if it wasn't for that man and not just I – mean, not just him really. It's the, you know, the, the, the you know the millions and millions of people that contribute uh, and have made Linux better and have added uh, – built on top of Linux – you know the Richard Stallmans of the world, and obviously all of the project developers. The things that you wouldn't have if it wasn't for those people is is unbelievable. I stood in McDonald's the other day, and I you know, we've just got the new uh, you know the the replacement for the we want fifteen dollars an hour, so now we have the you know the the big uh, kiosk things, and uh, one of those I can't, remember, I can't one of those things crashed, and it was all running Linux. I don't remember if it was the kiosk or if it was the display board. Up above, but uh, one of the things crashed and it was running Linux. And I was like, man, every time I turn around, something is running Linux. An entire show got killed because the surprise of something running Linux. I mean, among other things, but one of the things that killed it was that the, there is no shock that everything that we touch runs Linux anymore. Every device that you buy off the store has a little GPL thing. And it just kind of makes me smile and it makes me thankful. Linus Torvalds and, and everyone who has contributed over the years and made Linux what it is today. And I truly think it's the best operating system out there. I think that for I spent my life serving other people and trying to solve their problems, and they've trusted me to make a decision on what the best operating system is. And I've arrived at that conclusion time and time again through experience. So thanks so much for joining us. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint, coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ, 88.3, LPFM, Grand Forks.